Hey, what's going on out there, everybody? Welcome to another Addicted Fishing Podcast. We got another week at, without Marlon. He uh, decided to take off and bail, so he showed up last week. Graced us with his presence. He's in Idaho. Yeah, he's going to kill more stuff and critters and Jeez. buy more tags to kill more stuff. And I don't know. Just a killing machine this year. have a lot of fun driving in all that freaking snow. Oh, boy. Yeah. But he's not no one thanks. to like driving in the snow either. For how crazy he drives, he's one of the most scared of the snow drivers right. I've yeah. ever met. Yeah, we went to Michigan. He's, 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 he's like, treacherous out there. I'm not going fishing. <laughs> and I'm like, there's two inches of snow on the road. Yeah, dude. There's wrecks everywhere. And I'm like, you were yeah. pulling 360s on the gravel road last time we were out. <laughs> on the gravel. <laughs> we, we go to Michigan, we rent this, like, beautiful, like, brand spanking new Suburban. Like, uh-huh. we go out to the parking lot, he hands you the keys. He's like, you're driving. I ain't driving. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're oh driving. My God. I drove the whole damn week, two hours to the river, every oh. day back. Oh. And Jordan slept. And yeah, <laughs> Marlon slept. It was miserable. Was Man, like, bad co-pilot. Driving in a warm truck with the Man, snow on the stay, One guy at well, least has to stay up. And let me tell you this, like the reception out there for like oh, the Sean radio stations. Up. Was he like, to talk to. Oh, he had to film. <laughs> he had to film. We, all, we all know how well Sean talks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was no radio. There was nothing. It was just <laughs> two snow. hours. Just, just snow. Michigan thoughts. Terrible. Michigan thoughts. thoughts. Of yeah. Great pepperoni sticks and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and really cold steel. And center pins. Yeah, center pins. What'd you call me? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, we're talking Steelhead, finally. Yeah. Yes, steelhead it is Steelhead and season. what better way to start off the Steelhead conversation than with a whole bunch of closures coming down on the north then coast of Washington. Bunch of negativity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we do have a special guest chiming in here in just a few minutes but for those that don't know and for those that have not heard have been on the interwebs or heard the crying and the wailing and the screams of the steelheaders across the northwest in the last couple days uh we had some we had those same draconian pointless closures that happen up north that basically restrict anglers from fishing from boats and restrict a lot of the early fishing um, early steelhead fishing when there isn't any even early steelhead there or late Productive coho fishing just got the door slammed, shut down. And I'm not going to go into each regulation in each spot where um, this happened. You know where this happened because you know I'm going to require you to make sure that where you want to go fishing, you know, and has regulations. But a lot of again, a lot of just restriction of the guides. Restriction. Not, I shouldn't say the guides. Restriction of the sportsmen. Sportsmen in general. Right. It really is. But. No follow through on actually doing anything to improve these runs. None. Yeah, and, and even improve the ability for people to go. Like I, you know, I think we'll, we'll have Kratzer in on the live feed here after we do the podcast. And if you guys want to hear more from from that region of somebody who's the most experienced and actually on the board up there, um, just the in my mind, just what pisses me off more than anything is the restriction of mm-hmm. opportunity for. One, handicap anglers, elderly anglers, access, bigger yes. people. I mean, like, whatever. Like, it just to take the fishing away from people who rightfully deserve and, you know, to be able to fish out of a boat. Uh, do whatever it takes to go catch a fish, you know. <laughs> Let's just say it. Yeah. It's just, and it takes away the opportunity from so many, you know, paying licenses, you yeah. know, and it's just, and it's not helping anything. Like Cameron said, it's not doing anything. No. no. At the end of the day, they've, they've done this on the wind. They've done this on the Deschutes. I mean, the Deschutes 40 years ago, they were sold on the notion that if they got rid of a lot of the fishing from boats, that it would bring, it help enable the summer steelhead 
to come back. It didn't. We know that it didn't do it on the Wind River, and we know that it hasn't done it anywhere on the Clackamas or honestly anywhere else that they have done these restrictions. We have You do no. not see a rebounding of wild steelhead population, and I've said it before on many podcasts, so for all you wild fish guys out there listening, and I know you guys are, please enlighten me. Come on in. Let's hear it. Let's hear where these restrictions are actually going to do something. Because at the end of the day, we know they're not. And unfortunately, it just kicks the can down the road. And then there has been. Now, there was some increasing of areas where you can float from a boat. I know there I'm was. just going to say some river names. But there was a section of the Kalawa, the Bogus Shield, and Solduck that opened for boats. I think the whole Quileute. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what's tribal and what's not up there. I'm not. I don't even really know. I think just uh, the park sections on the Quileute were just. Were bo- or, were they were allowing boats. Where they're not allowing boats. Or where they're not allowing boats. Yeah, you can't then, fish from the boat for, okay. in the park, in but, the park boundaries. Okay, I know. <laughs> yeah, right, they, and then this is why we have Jason here, because I don't know what I'm talking about at all. But the reality is that there was some expansion on yes. fishing from boats, but the reality um, is a lot of the stuff is shutting down. A lot of the stuff is shutting down early. And in places that they could have very viable late, returning coho seasons well through the month of december that are seeing excellent numbers this year yeah now will be shut down as of tomorrow Mm -hmm. from the time that we were filming this podcast and are not going to be allowed to fish because we can't handle one of these early wild steelhead and all the while not do a damn thing about it not fix predation not fix habitat and not do any kind of brood stocking is still well, and total sight well, and, and not even check and not even check and i can't check. i can't even tell you i've been on the river so many times this fall and i have not seen one checker one game warden one nothing yeah. Again, there's no enforcement now there is there is actually they are talking and i did hear a little birdie said they are going to be there's going to be some discussions some test fishing going on in some of those streams and I'm all for understanding the problem. Like, I get it. Like, if we need to go into a, if you need to have anglers go into a stream to test fish to maybe see how many fish are there, that's great. Right. But what are you putting that up against? Because it's been closed for a few years now. And then they go and test and they catch, what, let's say they catch 10, 20, 50, 100 fish, whatever it might be. You're still studying it. You're still not bringing numbers back. You're still doing nothing to get back. And for those that think, and I do, I, and I understand there's a lot of angst and a lot of opinions out there, but there's a lot of people that think that there was, you know, there was some, there was some positivity coming out of the closures compared to last. But yeah. what do you guys think is going to happen the second that those escapement numbers dip back down due to unfavorable ocean conditions or anything? It's going to be worse. Right, and 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 then in an opportunity where we could have done something about it, yeah. Again, mm-hmm. the state, mm-hmm. really, Region Six hasn't. Again, yeah. Or uh, I put the yeah. that just tapped the little bow. <laughs> well, it's a little side package for there. It is a little side package. Ended it. But just think about it this way: it goes to tell you just the ignorance of the management. Where one of our very local streams that jason grew up on and cameron did is completely wide open for the most endangered and impacted run through december all the way through january it's the most urban fished river it doesn't have a hatchery run anymore used to and is now the main staple for people who like to go and learn how to catch a wild steelhead and drag them up on the bank and it doesn't close yeah. it doesn't close at all it never has no. it closes when the fish are actually the there difference, the difference, but now they're the closing these is, areas the difference is management yeah and, and i mean i think the, the 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 that's where that's unfortunately where the sword falls and it's yeah wrong. it's just it's it is it's, it's it's agenda yes it is the it is mm. the bio and however they want to twist it because i mean 
I would even be happy if the state would just come out and say, like, look, we don't really know what's going on. We have to curtail catch. Cool. Like, but if you're going to do this and you're going to throw it all in the sportsman's lap, you better be doing a damn thing about it because eliminating the sportsman, again, doesn't fix the problem. Anything. It keeps you further away from fixing it. Yeah, exactly, because you don't know. I mean, you have no other way other than your studies. Well, we're going to have a lot of great discussion about that going forward, but... um, I do want to bring in a guy who actually they uh, were in a situation. Oh yes, please. Where they are actually doing it. I've got the famous, world famous, Mr. Scott Ammerman on the phone right now. How's yes. it going, Scott? Good. How are you guys tonight? Excellent. Well, kind of excellent. Yeah, you know, doing all right. We just in there like a dingleberry. <laughs> we just had a nice ten minute discussion on all the bad things in the steelhead world and all the closures. But yeah, yeah that's why we're talking to you. <laughs> Let's bring cool. some. Yeah. Let's bring some joy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Scott Ammerman, uh, longtime fishing guide here in Oregon. Started guiding when I was a teenager. Uh, dad was a uh, you know fishing guide in Tillamook. I grew up fishing with him. Um, you know, saw the steelhead runs back in the seventies and eighties in Tillamook, and then kind of you know saw them decline and you know kind of get really poor for a long period of time, and it kind of slowly started working them back up and working them, you know, in different areas, getting going, doing that kind of stuff. We've been guiding for, you know, 30 plus years now. So, 30 plus years. That is a huge history. And like you said, those runs, you know, the runs downturn, that's kind of going to be the topic of discussion because you, you are a very integral part, if not the, like, uh, we can, we're going to say a couple river names on here because sometimes we have to just for context for the Celeste Broodstock program, correct? Sure. Well, I mean, so the Celeste was, we were fortunate. The Celeste started a broodstock program really early on. And then we were able to take those broodstock programs and copy them and make a, you know, broodstock program on the Wilson. We then turned around and made that broodstock program on the Nestucca. You know, we then turned around and took it to Portland and did the Clackamas, did the Sandy Rivers up there. And we turned around and took it to the Alsea River down here. And so, um, the selects when it took off and went nuts and really was great. Um, it kind of became an integral part to get these going in other areas to spread out fishing pressure to give opportunity to more areas to more people, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so the selects, so chicken and the sure. chicken and the eggs, really so the blossom, selects came out you know. before the. So I was the, the first, yeah. the OG, OG. Yeah. And so I at that time was still living. I was actually living in Cebo between Tillamook, you know, there on the Nesteca. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by March, most of our steelhead opportunities were gone. So a lot of the guides would drive down to the Celeste and fish and do that kind of stuff. And I'd fished it a lot for Fall Chinook and just kind of decided it's time to start fishing it for steelhead too. And it was just incredible to all of a sudden have a lot of opportunities. And so... I think a lot of the Tillamook guides and different area guides that went down there and fished said, we got to get this happening in our river. It's unbelievable. And so we've kind of copied it. You know, we were fortunate that a lot of our staff in other areas were able to say, man, this is successful. We're seeing the returns. We're seeing all that kind of stuff. And so in, you know, historically on like the Wilson and the Stucker, we got a return rate of maybe – you know, half of the percentage, maybe 1% on a good year from our hatchery smolt that we released. And we got a 6% return on the select for smolt. It's ridiculous. And so we all <laughs> said, we're, you know, getting these smolts that were coming out of the 
wild broodstock that was, you know, it's wild fish that had came back to the river. We spawned them and created offspring hatchery fish first generation. And we had this huge survival rate and we were catching, instead of catching the typical six or eight pound brat steelhead, you know, that we had up in those, you know, Tillamook, you know, area streams when they were hatchery fish for a long time, we were catching, you know, 12, 14, you know, some over 20 pound wild, you know, wild offspring broodstock fish. So it was cool to see that the genetics changed, all that changed. And so when we saw that, we were like, how can we make this happen in other rivers? So, you know, Jack Smith is the one I always point to that I say he's the guy. He's the one that really helped spearhead a lot of this stuff. He stood right beside us. I mean, you know, when we got the Wilson going, uh, you know, he was an integral part of doing that. He was right there fighting us with. So when we got stuck going, I think they're doing a coho food stock program mm-hmm. right now on, uh, um, you know, Tillamook, I think on the Trash River. Um, we've done a broodstock program on the Seca for Ball Chinook, uh, you know, so we kind of limit this all over the place and we have a pattern that really works and we're just trying to, you know, copy it and you know, keep it going. So you have a pattern that works and to put it into perspective to you for people, like when you go from a hatchery steelhead small that you're seeing a half percent of return, you know, to a 6% return. I mean, you can put a hundred thousand fish of both, you know, types of steelhead in the water, but you're going to get 12 times the fish back. So that's, that's a very impactful statement. Why did you guys start the Celette's broodstock program? I mean, like what, what, what situation was that river in before you guys decided like, okay, look, we need to be seeing a better return on these fish. We need more bang for our buck. Like, why did you guys do that? Like what, why did that start? I think, I think what happened is there was an early push to start replacing out of basin stock. So in a lot of these rivers, we would take, like the Nesteca would have all the hatchery steelhead returned in the Nesteca. And then we'd, you know, truck them up and dump hatchery, you know, Nesteca River steelhead smolts into the Wilson. We'd drive them down and dump them in the Nesteca. Or we'd have Alfie River smolts that we'd dump in all these rivers. And so, um, you know, they just, after years and years of respawning the same hatchery fish, they became inferior. They, the genetics started flipping. And I think that, you know, someone, one of our biologists down there said, hey, let's do this. The select is really unique in that it has a big waterfall in the upper river that has a fish ladder that fish have to go through. Um, and so they were able to take wild fish right there. So it was very minimal um, how much, you know, stuff they had to do to create a broodstock program. They had wild fish going back to this ladder. They picked out a small number and started doing broodstock. And they just wanted to see what happened and it just went nuts. And so... Um, you know, like I said, I wasn't an integral part of getting started, but, um, you know, my dad and I talked to, you know, Tillamook back in, uh, maybe 86, 87 about trying to get a spring Chinook hatchery on, you know, broodstock program going on Wilson. So it's not something that we hadn't put in the ear of a lot of staff and stuff like that. It was just something that we were fortunate that they took off and went with on the lot and that kind of stuff. So, you know, they've had a successful program for a lot of years. I kind of I have a quick question, Scott. Um, what was what was like the the thing that made you guys like not made you guys, but how was it so easily adopted? Like the the whole broodstock program. What made like what or, or was it easy? Yeah, or was it easy? Okay, so what I will tell you is it was easy and it was hard. The thing that made it easy was we had a district biologist and told them us that. I think really saw the benefits of it and was really quick 
to, uh, you know, take those things on. Um, you know, we will all work closely with Rick Clump and Tillamook, who's our district biologist back then. He's now retired. Um, and, you know, Tillamook, we had a, you know, the kind of what is now the North Coast Salmon Field Enhancement Fund it used to be the Oregon Wildlife Heritage Foundation would do a big, you know, um, fundraiser down there every year. They would then turn around and look for projects to do. So the funding was there. So when we got talking to ODFW, they weren't like, okay, this is going to cost us any money. We had these, you know, we had this Oregon Wildlife Heritage Foundation in place that was ready to fund and pay for everything that needed money. Gotcha. And so the staff was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. And if you guys are willing to pay money to get this stuff done, um, you know, it's just a really great opportunity. And they jumped at it and went for it in Tillamook. But even in, even in Tillamook, we started and we settled them out of basin hatchery steelhead in for the early season component for probably, you know, fish that would return in November, December, and January. Mm-hmm. And then we had the broodstock program fish that we thought would come in at a month. So we decided we would try to have these components that would be there for both. And so I would say we did probably 10 years too long of the Alcides and stock that we still dumped them in there. But eventually we just said, look, the broodstock fish are coming early. We get some in December. We get some, you know, all the way into April. The sand so pile of fish. Yeah, well, that's a big yeah. run. They're coming. Yep, sand pile of fish. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the thing. And so when they're spread out that big, it's really cool to see that, uh, you know, it kind of spread out throughout the entire Thing. And so we tried to adopt this on Stucca. We thought it was going to be just as easy as get going to Tillamook. And we instantly got met with, you know, lawsuits from some of the anti, you know, hatchery fish oh, people. Oh boy. And so we were, we were in the, you know, like I, I sat on the board or the, you know, public input group that tried to get this thing going. You know, pretty soon we had, you know, native fish society and those people challenging every step of the way for hatchery fish in Minnesota to the point where they said, Hey, there's not enough wild fish. You're going to kill too many wild fish. If you do this food stock program. So we had to go out and prove, you know, we had to do spawn count surveys, you know, river, see how many fish were in the river and all that kind of stuff. And they said, man, there's so many fish. You guys should just harvest the wild ones. Yeah. No, we want to do this. So, <laughs> no, we, no, let's do no, this no, the right need, way. We need, we need to have jobs and we need to have something to talk about. So let's 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 run these fish down to a point where we actually can get grants and study them to death, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so we were fortunate in that situation too, where we were able to fund this stuff. So, you know, we could have gotten completely stopped with this initial hey, um, you don't know if there's enough fish. But we were able to say, hey, we're in a fund a couple of years. We'll do a two-year spawn survey in the river where we have to go down the river, count how many pairs are spawning, how many reds we see, get a rough idea of how many wild fish we believe are in the stuck. And we did that for a two-year period. But we kind of got caught in this red tape loophole, and it took us two extra years to start the program. But we had to make sure we did it right, and we did it right, and it really kicked off. And, you know, the broodstock program there has been hugely successful. And then... You know, I, I know that we did it in the Clackamas and the Sandy as well, and those actually got shut down for periods of time because of, mm-hmm. you know, Native Fish Society. Feel-good policy. Yeah. So here's a question yeah. then for you, like, on the Slats <laughs> and on the Wilson and stuff. So since that since that time, so it's got to be, what, 25-plus years on the Slats more? Yeah, I would say at least that, so, yeah. 
have you guys so as we've seen this downturn of steelhead populations in puget sound and in the north coast and kind of along some of the columbia trips where some of these programs were taken away what's gone on on the selects you know i mean we're fortunate that one we've continued to have really good fisheries and two we've kind of been able to spread the crowds out if you look at a big picture over a last 10 or 15 year period as we got food stock programs going on the Alp Sea, the Nilsuck of the Wilson, you know, the Portland area streams, people had other opportunities, other mm-hmm. places to go. So you saw the crowd spread out where not everybody was just coming to select because it was the only place in town you could go catch taxi steelhead still. So but- originally we saw all the, you know, the crowds dispersed. We saw the stuff, but our, our steelhead program has continued to be super successful on this route. So just, so just to, to, to parallel this with what's going on on the North Coast, just like as of right now, North Coast Washington, which arguably probably has some of the best habitat, I mean, for steelhead, I would have to say bar none, um, anywhere, any, anywhere in the Northwest. In and the then also, and also the closest to the feeding grounds, less migration and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, you guys obviously have not, I mean, have you seen any like steelhead? Because I know on the Wilson there hasn't been, like since the inception of the broodstock program for 22 years, They've seen no, like, limit reduction, no restriction, and no problems with, with additional wild escapement coming for that. Is that the same for the Celettes? Yeah, yeah it's the same. It's really been unbelievable. Mike, drop. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been really cool. And, yeah, this has been a great podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all we needed to hear. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. No. Let's just forward yeah. this to Sussman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pretty incredible. I mean, very, very incredible. We have these just completely stark differences. And like you said, it really started with a biologist um, down in your neck of the woods that just said, hey, we've got this idea. We can improve something. Um, you guys have also gotten rid of, I mean, let's be honest. And, and I know you know, and and you know I know that there are some hatchery steelhead out there that are very detrimental to long-term survivability of wildfish and what those are. Sure. Our segregated stock, it's not all Out. hatchery fish. Basically, the broodstock program has turned the hatchery system and the hatchery mechanism into something that will help wildfish populations versus doing something completely different in Frankenstein and Frankenfish and segregated stocks yeah. to try to just eke out more season. And because you guys have got such a successful, and like, and like I'm more familiar with the Wilson but since there is such a successful broodstock program there, even though they are later returning, you have a sand pile effect because the run is so strong that you do see early fish and you see fish well past people time where people are honestly not steelhead fishing anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, my favorite time of year, every time, every year to fish is after everybody starts springer fishing. Uh-huh. As soon as the springer pictures start showing don't, up, on don't, Facebook, don't. Like, yeah. yes, yes, keep catching them, boys. <laughs> so here's, I'm gonna ask, yeah. no, I'm gonna be the devil's advocate. Is there any, and, and then we'll, then we'll let you go because we have a life you to do. Is there any negative? What have you seen over the last, you know, your eons of guide experience you and your pops like in the, or i mean in those programs wh- is there a negative like what's the negative what would you say is a negative you know maybe other than having such a productive fishery a few people show up and like you said you talk about spreading that out but i mean sure. i mean give me the argument give me the anti broodstock argument you know i mean it, it creates a lot of opportunities so there's a lot more people on the river you get a lot more access for everybody um so there's a lot of people that are guys who have fished that river for 30 years who went down when it was maybe they'd hook a wild fish, you know, in March and they would never see another boat. Now you go down the river and there's 
you know, boats all over the place. And, you know, so it definitely brings crowds. You know, because people, if they go and they catch fish and they regularly catch fish, they're going to go again. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, you th- the, so you think it'd be within our manager's best interest to have these programs everywhere? Sure. And so when we see closures like you guys are looking at Washington or boat restrictions or what all the rules, I didn't get a look at exactly what they all were, but what you see is you see crowds coming to these rivers. How many boats are going to quit, not go up there and instead going to go to the Wilson this year or instead go to mm-hmm. the Flats or the Mesaca or whatever? And so there's no doubt in my mind that that creates extra pressure. We saw this year in our fall Chinook fisheries that, you know, they closed a couple of rivers. We had the biggest crowds we've ever fished in because, you know, just everybody from these other rivers all came to the rivers that were open. So, yeah, less soccer, less, less soccer fields. People want to play soccer. Sure. Um, Scott, yeah. thank you so much for giving us some insight on that because, like I said, to, to just kind of like parallel this with what's going on on the North Coast, it's it's pretty striking that this is still even a even such a such a such a debate uh, within the steelhead management realm that it's that uh, it's I don't know if it's being carefully looked at or whatnot. But is there any way that any anglers out there can help? Because I believe you guys have you know some matching going on with some independent donors. And where that. can they look? Where can they look you up if they want to help you guys out? So, like on our SLEP anglers group, um, what we're doing is we're just building the coffers. We're trying to build that thing so we have an opportunity to go to the. ODFW and say, hey, we want to do these projects. We want to do these programs. We have the money right here, ready for it. So we do a fundraiser every year. We're doing it March 4th this year. People can look us up on Facebook, uh, Select Anglers Association on Facebook. Um, I'm sure you guys can link to that or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, people can join our group there. Um, right now, we had a donor step up and donate. $5,000 this last week saying that he would donate up to $5,000 if anybody else donated money, he would match their dollar, dollar, dollar. And so we had Giving Tuesday this week. So before that, we put it out in our Facebook group and said, hey, anybody that's willing to match money, we're trying to get as close to that $5,000 amount as we can. Um, you know, we do a fundraiser on March 4th where we actually do it on the River Day. Um, you know, we're always looking for people to donate fishing tackle, you know, various, any kind of door prize stuff. If you have a business, you want us to promote your stuff at our event, that kind of stuff, you can reach out to, you know, us on Slept Angler stuff. We'll help you figure out how to give back to the fishery, that kind of stuff. Well, that's incredible, Scott. And for those of you guys out there listening, you know, you might not live around, you might not live around the Salette, so you might not ever plan on fishing on it. But I can tell you right now, like what goes on in other areas in the steelhead industry, I'll call it an industry, but in the steelhead world, it affects everything that you're doing. So as steelheaders, I think across the board, we want to see these programs be successful. Um, And this is from a guy on the phone right here that is actually doing something. So Scott, we appreciate that. I'm glad to hear that, that, that get together is March 4th, because I'm actually going to put it in my calendar this year and go down to it. I need a good excuse to go fish some new water. So uh, I We'd definitely want to come down and hang out. Dude, yeah, I'm glad to hear that it's on there. I got it already blocked in my calendar as I'm sitting here. Thank you uh, so much for tuning in yep. and doing what you do. So we'll uh, we'll talk okay, to you over you. on the live feed. Okay, good luck, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Later. All right, guys. Scott Ammerman. Like I said, a guy who's actually doing something the state that's actually doing something proactively proactively doing, doing something. something no you heard it like no restrictions no at all no nothing no barbless no freaking no bait out of time too it's just incredible none of those fish are esa listed yet 
And if that happens up north, and oh yeah, no, it slams the doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're uh, but either way, it's it's quite a stark comparison. So we need to support them however we can. I'm sure they'd appreciate Slets Anglers Association. S-A-A? Yes. Yep. Slets Anglers Association guys, hook them up, and uh, yeah, and honestly, if you ever get a chance, I've actually done a guided trip with Scott Ammerman once. I, I know my dad. I think yeah. my dad has back in the day. He brought out a bead. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> I went, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, blew my mind. This is like, <laughs> this is like, oh, shoot, 10, 12 years ago, an old client of mine. The start of something new. Scott. That's right. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We're going to catch you over to the live feed and uh, support Celeste Angler's Association. We'll see you guys out there. Cheers. Yeah.